Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, today we've got the Chief Customer Officer at McDonald's, Chris Brown, on the mics. Nearly two years ago, Chris was appointed CMO at the QSR Juggernaut and has since been appointed Chief Customer Officer. We'll find out shortly how the two remits differ. After spending his entire career in agencies, he was CEO at McDonald's Australian agency, DDB, before moving to DDB New York as President and CEO and later to an IPG-owned network, RGA. But he's now well and truly back down under in one of the biggest marketing and customer roles in the country. So how's the transition been? What does he see coming in the next 12 months as the economy and consumer mood moves increasingly volatile? And what sort of innovation can we expect from Maccas? Let's find out. Welcome, Chris Brown. It's been a long time. Yeah. Hi, Paul. Good to see you. Yeah, good. Let's start with the uh, the leap, uh, Chris, from agency to marketing. There's an ongoing uh, migration happening there. There's a lot of people very keen on doing it. And there's a lot of ex-agency people in marketing these days. Why is that, do you think? And, and how have you found the transition? Yeah, look, I've, I've really enjoyed the transition going client side. I had, a, I had a really enjoyable career agency side. I was fortunate to work at some amazing agencies, work with some amazing clients, you know, different parts of the world. So I, I really enjoyed my kind of agency career. It was about 50 years or something, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that old, Paul. But when I think about, you know, the opportunities to go client side, and, and as I kind of referenced earlier, you know, working with a senior level at agencies, and those agencies were quite different. So if I think about my time in the UK, it was really about understanding strategy and creativity as a headline, I suppose. It's very British, isn't it, too? Uh, look, and I was lucky to work at um, BMP DDB, yes, you right. know, which along with JWT was seen as one of the founders of planning. Les Bonnet was yes, obviously there, yes, which right. I think we may cover later. But, you know, a great creative agency in a classical sense. And then coming to Australia, uh, that experience was fantastic. You know, at the time we were talking about kind of in- integrated marketing capabilities. So, and I think I definitely got more of that experience here than I would have got in London. So really understanding how different channels work, getting to meet different from those disciplines. Was that a function of the market, Chris, or the agency that you were with as in DDB moving that way? It was sort of, there's a lot, we, we've been talking about integrated since the late 90s, really. Definitely a bit of both. I think the Australian marketplace at that time was a lot more entrepreneurial, scrappy in a good way. And I think there was... There was a desire to do more, build more, create more within the agency model. But I also think size helped that as well, that if you were looking to build and grow with a client, you were looking at other capabilities that you could connect for them. So if you were running a big big client at an agency, you know, listening to their problems, thinking at how you could use creativity to solve them, you naturally started to think beyond the particular channel. So I definitely think, you know, a bit of marketplace, you know, and a bit of Australian entrepreneurism helped. And then you go to New York, you know, clearly there's a huge scale within the US marketplace. So that was really interesting. But then then RGA as well, specifically, really understanding more about experience design, digital transformation, you know, and kind of building out some of those, I'd say, deeper skills in those newer capabilities. Mm -hmm. So then bringing that all together, going client side, I feel like I can can deploy those skills really effectively from an end-to-end perspective. So I haven't found on one hand the transition to be overly complicated because I think modern agencies where you've got a breadth of disciplines, you know, you build some of those capabilities. I think what I have found really interesting is the more commercial side, the operational side, working closely with my supply chain partners. I think there's the aperture in Canvas when you go client side is so much broader and understanding the role that marketing plays and the customer plays and then how you influence the business to make, you know, 
good decisions, I think, has been has been really invigorating, actually. Just on that, we'll get to, well, obviously we'll get to the broader what's going on here in, in consumers and what Maccas is up to, but those two observations around the two, say, the two networks in the US that you're, you worked with, and, and RGA is an interesting one, right? I, I think we talked about it earlier, stories and systems or systems and stories, which is essentially the technology, the user experience, rather than just advertising and creative, it was a much sort of broader, as you say, remit. What was the key things between those two, the two groups, for instance? What was different about them? Um, we've got a lot of talk at the moment about the future of agencies. What do you make of all that? Yeah, look, I think I think both agencies are really good agencies. So it's not really a kind of compare. Well, I think you can compare without without suggesting one is significantly better than the other. Mm. I think and a really interesting starting point is if you look at RGA, for example, it's it's DNA was Bob Greenberg, mm. kind of came from a like a producer background, a modern producer background. DDB obviously started with a classic Birnbach creative background. So they they come to the problem from a different starting point within their DNA. I think that was really interesting, you know, coming from one culture to another culture. I think that the future of agencies is a really interesting discussion. And I don't think there's one, one answer. I think there's some really great kind of modern networked agencies that are doing extremely well, both locally and globally. There's fantastic independents that are doing doing really well locally and globally. Some are coming from a social background. Some are coming from a digital background. Some are coming from more traditional advertising background. Essentially, what what binds a great agency and, and arguably a great business is culture. If you've got a great culture that people feel like they can do their best work, you'll have a successful business. You'll have a successful agency. You'll connect well what, with no clients. No matter what your where your focus is in the chain. Yeah, I think so. If, if we were sitting here going, oh, let's let's create like the modern agency archetype, the number one thing on my list would be culture and people versus, oh, well, we need to build it out from social out or influencer out or advertising down or let's start with a, you know, a product design mindset. Of course, those things are critically important. But I think the the one consistent of great agencies is is culture and people. They do talk about it a lot, though, culture. I mean, agencies and culture, because it's a people-based business. I've heard it for the, you know, 30 years that I've been covering the sector, and it's always about culture. It's in the execution, I guess, is the trick. But what, what do you mean by culture now, Chris, in terms of what, what matters and what's important for an agency? And then we will get to the broader remit, the broader marketing remit. Yeah, so I think one of the, you know, unlocks when, when I was working kind of agency side was, you know, diversity of creative thinking around the table. And therefore, you have to have, an environment where people feel like they can, you know, stand up and say for what they think, you know, there's an inherent tension in the creative process. And I think harnessed in the right way that can unlock really great work, irrespective of where that work turns up. But if that culture isn't right, then it becomes very destructive. So I think that's why I think culture is really, really important. And again, if you look at the great agencies that you admire or the great work that comes out, I would say having a great culture and people believing that they can turn up and do great work in a great environment is key to that. So let's go to your current gig. You're appointed CMO initially at McDonald's in what, 2020 sometime, late 2020, I think, is that right? And then um, recently taken on the chief customer officer role. Now, what's the distinction there, Chris? Because we've seen a lot of chief customer officers. We see a lot of chief revenue officers that were, were once and sort of had the marketing remit. So there's kind of a bit of a, a blurring happening there. But in the CCO role, um, what's different there? Yeah, I think and, I, and I'm like 90 days into to this role, and right. it's a new yeah. role within McDonald's Australia. So, and in a good way. So there's a there's an element of discovery about this. But what I really like about the role, and what's really really important, is that I think if you think about kind of modern successful businesses, they recognise that the customer and being customer first has to be the heart of the decision making process. And I think this is a recognition at, at McDonald's that we want to be you know truly customer centric in the way that we operate. 
you know, that goes around, you know, the products that we create, the experiences we create, the customer journey from an end-to-end perspective, how we engage our customers through all different channels, you know, and really thinking about what their needs and wants are and then creating product services and experiences that meet those needs. So I think from my perspective, being elevated to that uh, chief customer officer role at McDonald's is a manifestation of that desire to be really customer first in the way that we go to market. So is this still a CMO or are you effectively the CMO as well as the CCO or how does that work? Yeah, so marketing currently reports into the the new CCO role. So I've got okay. sort of a fantastic marketing team, uh, senior you know directors of marketing. So that now funnels up. So so the way the way that I try and think about it is obviously, you know, we hear a lot of talk about, you know, the end-to-end customer journey, creating those experiences that matter. Marketing in some respects is about, you know, the promise of experience. Now that's a relatively simplistic view, but but ultimately it's about the promise. And then the the other side is right, okay, delivering, delivering on that experience. Yeah. So from a chief customer perspective, it's about marrying those two things really effectively together. Now that's extremely simplistic, but I think that's the way that we're trying to think about it. So the oversight you have across the business now includes what and what does it mean now as CCO? Where's your priorities? Yeah. So, so again, I think that's a really, really important point. It's definitely a kind of an enterprise or business wide role, but I don't have functional responsibility for technology. I don't have functional responsibility for operations, which my operations partner would say, thank goodness for that. <laughs> yeah, right. So, But what it really is about creating a more cohesive horizontal view across the business, working very collaboratively. So marketing is obviously one of the functions. Customer experience is one of the key functions. You know, I, I'm also responsible for McCafe as well, which is part, I suppose, of the customer role, but is also a broader remit than that. I think from a customer experience perspective, you know, we've just brought in a, in a great kind of CX lead from outside the industry, brings a lot of industry knowledge. I think, you know, what we're looking at is, you know, kind of creating a kind of virtuous circle. So how do we create a more engaged service-led culture, both within the corporate organization and then within the restaurants? How do we really understand the customer journey? So using all of the data points that we have to understand what those pain points and tensions are. And then also, and I think importantly, how are we engaging our current customers and creating a really positive feedback loop that acts as a kind of, so at a hygiene level, responds really effectively to any, any engagement that we have, but then acts as a kind of, early warning signal around things that we're seeing across the business. So creating a more connected customer service function, having a much more evolved understanding of our customer journey and how we make that as memorable and seamless as possible. And then what's the culture that underpins that? Because ultimately, as I referenced earlier, I'm, I'm a massive believer in, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast, that Peter Drucker quote, that yes, exactly. if you don't get that right, nothing will, will work effectively. So when you talk about customer journeys, though, in, in a McDonald's context, if you think about tech-led CX, which is often some a lot of the narrative and a lot of the discussion in the market is that, you know, your customer experience journey mapping using technology to and bringing all that together, understanding all the steps. Is that what you're talking about here and mapping like different customers and, and how many customer journeys can you sort of map and, and respond to? Obviously, technology is a massive enabler of the customer journey. But for our business, it's not the only enabler. You know, if you think about, you know, the channels that we engage our customers, you know, you can walk, walk through the doors into the restaurant, go up to the front counter and order a, order a meal. You can use kiosk, you can use your phone, you can go through drive-through, you can go through delivery. So clearly, as we hectic. move forward, <laughs> on one hand, I think the business is extremely complicated. And on another hand, there's some of the fundamental kind of simplicity. It's a, it's a restaurant that serves, you know, customers. Um, it's just the way that we serve those customers has, has significantly changed over the last 50 years in Australia. So to your point, I think, you know, technology is a massive enabler of understanding 
those pain points and then in, in some respects kind of fixing or addressing them. But it's not the only thing that we look at. And then from a from a customer journey perspective, yeah, we're we're a you know we're a mass brand. You know, lots of customers come through our doors every day. How many? How many customers coming through? It's about two million. Two million a day. Two million a day. So yeah, gee, I mean, mapping journeys for two million people in a day with all the segments you've got because you go from kids through to grandparents. So I think you're looking at prioritization as well. So and it's something that we work very closely with. You know, obviously our tech team, the global team. What are those kind of most important moments that matter that we can address? And or what new technologies can we launch that help that process or whether it be in, you know, drive through, for et cetera. So, for example, you know, we have mobile order and pay functionality on on the app. So you don't have to tap your card. It's just you can you can order your food, pay for it. So when you turn up, you you give your code over at the drive through or at the front counter and your food gets delivered. So kind of making the process quicker and easier. So that's a tech enabled, you know, solution. But also I think, you know, there's a there's also some of that kind of wonderful service-led, you know, culture that, you know, McDonald's is famous for, you know, with its crew and its people. So as I say, absolutely tech is a critical part of it, but there's also some of the kind of the the, the magic of Maccas that's existed for 50 years when you think about good service. Yeah. Just on the app, for instance, Chris, what does the customer take up on that? Is the receptivity to do things differently, to approach McDonald's and how they interact and engage with you? You've got kiosks, you've got apps. How does the take-up go? Are you seeing it sort of emerging or is it sort of everyone, there's a segment that piles in? Yeah, I think the app, our app, the MyMacas app has been hugely successful. I think when we originally launched it, you know, it would would be one of the ways our customers would engage. So, you know, you might have the app on your phone, but then you might just go through the drive-thru and play with your your card, et cetera. I think increasingly we're seeing the app being used as the kind of, by, by a core group of people as the way that they interact with us, which is, which is completely and utterly understandable. Clearly, like a lot of businesses and brands through, you know, the COVID period, we saw, you know, rapid acceleration of, yes, of right. the app. And it's holding now? Do they still, the trial and samplings yeah. now, it's, it's a habit? Yes. Yeah, so if you think about the McCafe and our coffee, you know, we had a coffee loyalty program, which is, a, you know, an old-fashioned punch card that yes, you'd go yes. in and get punched. That then moved to a digital platform, and that's now part of our, of our My Maccas, My Maccas app. So I think I think our customers are really enjoying using the app. It's got really good kind of usability. We've obviously just launched our loyalty program, you know, in the last six months. So yeah, like the role of the My Maccas app is really, really important. But again, it, it's one part of our kind of engagement with How our customers. How many customers are using it? How many downloads of the app is it, you know? So we've got uh, 1.6 million oh. kind of active customers on the app. So it's- and That's active app, per right? month or how, what's the, just active, what's the time frame? Uh, active per, in the last 90 days. Well, right, okay. So it's it's a quite a high number. Yeah. yeah. And the behavior on that, they're using more and more of the functionality in it? The short answer is yes, especially with loyalty. Yes. So uh, by launching loyalty, obviously we're providing rewards. You know, that's an increased functionality. I think what the what the app has also allowed us to do is deliver more personalized and relevant value. You know, and that's increasingly important in, in the today's environment. So, you know, it provides utility because it's easy, easy to use. It's a good interface, but also that you you can not only get the what we call kind of mass digital offers, but you can also get more personalized offers as well. Look, we're going to get to the loyalty later, but I think we're on the, on the subject. So it's interesting what you've done with, with the loyalty program. And if you look at the the academics, um, Byron Sharp, Ehrenberg Bass, will talk about how loyalty programs um, don't necessarily deliver what they plan to, yet all of us are, are on these loyalty programs. What was the rationale for the loyalty program for McDonald's? Well, I think first and foremost, it's about providing value to our customers. Now, that's really, really important. I think it also allows us to be more personalized with that. So, 
you know, it's really important. You know, we're, we're a mass brand, but I think all brands have to have a real kind of one-to-one kind of philosophy, whether you, your origins were in one-to-one or your origins were more kind of mass. But it's very much about, you know, understanding our customers, providing value, providing more relevant offers, products, and then ultimately experiences. So this is something that will evolve over time and, you know, reward people for, for being a customer of McDonald's. McDonald's in Australia, and you were there when you were back here in the, at DDB, McDonald's Australia is seen as quite an innovator globally for McDonald's. I, mean, I think McCafe came out of Australia, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you see in terms of uh, McDonald's in Australia now versus what's going on in the rest of the world? And how is what's the local business doing feeding up into global and what's coming from global now? Is, it, is the dynamics changing there? No, I, I, you're absolutely right. I think McDonald's has always been an absolute standout market in the global McDonald's world. And I think that's reflected by, you know, some of the, the talent that, that's moved around from Australia to overseas. And our, you know, our, our most recent CEO has just been promoted into a big global role. And we've got a new CEO who's, who's Australian, who's been working overseas and has come back. So I think... Well, you've got precedence with the late Charlie Bell as correct. well, don't you? Yeah, correct. So, so I think both as a market and the people and talent within it, it's seen as, it's seen as a really strong performer. And you're right, you know, McCafe launched here, salads. So there's, there's a real kind of innovation highway i suppose i think it's like any effective global business it's it's a bit of both there's really interesting global innovation so lorty we were i think we were like the 40th you know that number might not be quite right but we we were certainly nowhere near the first market to launch loyalty yeah right so that's really important because we're able then to learn from the other markets so the market that was launched just before us was canada which is you know similar size so we were really able to understand what were what were customers liking whether areas that we could improve how could we help our crew understand how best to educate people about the loyalty program, et cetera? So those things I think are really important. But also, yeah, we want to we want to be doing you know innovation as well and and exporting some of that. So I, I can't talk to some of those now. But yeah, it's I was going to try, and you wouldn't say, but I, you got to try. <laughs> but definitely a bit of both. Just on the loyalty program here. So what is the take up on that? It's the one point six million. Oh, okay, that's the yeah. same as the app usage, yeah. the app download. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So since launching six months ago, there's one point six million people signed up to the loyalty program. There are one point six million people signed up to the loyalty wow. program, yeah. Right. And where do you see in the next, you know, twelve months, two years, what will loyalty do for the business? Will it just allow you the personalization or will it encourage different buying behaviors and more and more frequency? I think whether it's a two year window, but I think over a a period of time, whether it's two years, three years, four years, five years, I think we will be continuing to look at how we can make, you know, the MindMakers experiences as, as, I suppose, rewarding and valuable as possible to our customers. And and again, like, you know, this period that we're in at the moment, you know, that value is really, really important. I think to start with, some of that is quite important, kind of tangible value. So the offers that you get, the points that you earn, etc. But I think over time, we can add other richer experiences to that. You know, there's there's innovation that the UK are trialing with. You can you can dedicate your points to charity, which oh, I think is really yeah, interesting. interesting so it's certainly, you know, for us, we're not looking at loyalty as a kind of set and forget. But how can we continue to evolve it to be, as I say, as, you know, uh, valuable and rewarding for our customers? I think, you know, we talk a lot about value for money, but a really important metric is, you know, treats me like a valued customer. And I think, you know, loyalty is a big part of that. Let's get to the current economics because um, obviously the economic conditions are, there's a bit more volatility. The consumer confidence is, is on the way down. How companies are responding to what could be. I mean, in this market in Australia, there's still huge amounts of discretionary spending or savings that people have, but some are expecting, many are expecting a shift. What do you think happens in the consumer mood and what happens to McDonald's and how you respond to what could be coming and what do you think is coming? 
I was going to make, you know, I wish I knew exactly what was coming, but I think we're living in really, I think, challenging times. And I know that's a bit of a cliche, but I think it's true when you think about what, what the world's gone through over the last couple of years, and then you overlay some of the more recent, both global and local challenges that we've faced. So whether it be, you know, the continuation of the pandemic, flooding, you know, floods, supply chain issues, inflation. So whether it be, you know, economic or supply chain based or, or health or other factors, there's, you know, it's creating, I think, this really challenging environment. And, and absolutely from a consumer perspective, you know, we're seeing, you know, behaviours changing. You know, people are rightly concerned and, and worried. And, and I, I don't think that should be a surprise to anyone. Is that reflected in your menu and what people are choosing in your, in your own menu? Well, I think we, we're really focused on providing the best possible kind of value. So we've just launched a new kind of marketing platform, Value Means More at Macca's. And I think that value is everyday value. So then when you go to McDonald's or you order McDonald's on, on the app, you know that there's really good value food there every day for everyone. Are they bigger? So I'm just done trying to understand. That's, is they bigger packs or when you say, because so McDonald's is always value. So loose change menu. So making sure that we're still, you know, really, you know, competitive with, with those loose change menu items, those really popular items that we have. Then you have the, what we discussed earlier, but like the digital value that we provide both at a mass. So we're currently doing August weekly deals, which is, which is a great offer. We then have an, another mass offer. So for example, you know, we, we launched a lunch offer, double beef and bacon, because we recognize that, you know, lunch is an important time, you know, with, with price inflation, et cetera. Can we have a really good value offer in that occasion? And then loyalty. So we, we think those three components allow us to navigate uh, and continue to p- provide great value. I think the other the other thing that's really, really important when we think about our brand as well, like we're a feel-good, joyous kind of brand, family brand, and there's that intangible value sometimes that that provides as well. And whilst it's you know going to be a challenging few months, hopefully only a few months, but we don't know how long this is going to be, that people still want fun and joy in their lives and those moments where they can get together with their family and friends, et cetera. And I think our brand has a role to play in that. So not seeing any big significant shifts um, at the moment. We see consumer a bit of consumer angst, a bit of public angst about things, but not seeing that reflected in what they're doing with McDonald's. We're certainly very cognizant that customer behavior is going to change. They're going to protect and do more of some things and they're going to cut and do less of some things. So we're very focused as a business to make sure that, that we're seen as being valuable to them, something they want to continue to do. Pricing-wise, you know, there's got to be pressure on your supply chain in terms of inputs and so forth. How are you managing that at a, at a customer level, that the value you're putting more, are your price points going up but adding more into it, or how do you manage that? I think it's really important for us as a business, if, you know, if we're going to be customer first, to, you know, make sure that we are as competitive as possible with our pricing and make sure that, you know, our customers really feel that value that we can offer. You know, we, we are really focused as a business to make sure that, you know, we're doing the best by our customers as we possibly can. Chris, I mean, you've been around a while and you've seen a few of these economic cycles. So I'm just interested, is this one different and how different is it to managing through COVID? Is, it, is there anything different coming out of COVID and this particular environment we're in different to what you've seen in the past or same? I think the last, the last few years have been different to everyone. So, I mean, if I remember, you know, the GFC, you know, Australia mm. and summers, it didn't, uh, to be honest, it didn't feel like it at the You're time, right. but actually we were quite insulated by some of the challenges that other uh, markets around the world had but i do think this feels different because it's coming off the back of you know a really difficult global pandemic and this it's so many really challenging things that are happening around the world and and things that are happening locally that that seem to be just in every day is just bad news but what i would say as i think there's 
there's also a significant degree of resilience. And I think that resilience gives me confidence that we'll navigate this as a, as a country, you know, and, and as a business as well, because I think people are really resilient. So on that, in terms of how you, you know, you may respond, and it gets back to what you talked about, who you talked about earlier with Les Benet in your old agency days. They are obviously renowned now globally for their long and short, long-term brand building versus short-term demand generation and so forth. Firstly, how do you sit as a marketer on that sort of idea of long and short and building long and too much emphasis has gone on sort of short-term stuff and not building brand? And what happens through this particular environment? Do you take your foot off brand building and start to look more tactical um, or are you holding? And do you believe that stuff full stop, I guess? Yeah, I'm not sure Les would allow me not to believe it. That's right. You get a phone call. Absolutely big believer in in what what he and Peter, Peter Field and, and others have kind of you know spoken to and I and I think it's it's really important that I think in times like this that we that we're even more focused on building the brand in the long term and I, I think sometimes it can be too simplistic to kind of t- to reduce the argument to are oh, we're now going to shift one way or the other you know w- we have a you know long-term ambition to continue to invest more in brand and long-term brand building there are tactics that we'll use but I also think that it's really important that you know we can prove that uh, the return on our investment is better when we're investing in kind of brand building and long to, longer term initiatives you know and as i say that doesn't give you a pass not to worry about tactics in the short term but but really that's our long term focus yes and we should say for those that quite across the the technical the the detail on this you know mcdonald's clearly doesn't need brand awareness um this is more about building brand affinity and mental availability and yeah, so forth yeah, yeah yeah so you're you're a fan of all that 100% so let's go to this really interesting concept of uh, creativity, which we talked about earlier, but creativity beyond advertising. So let's go to an advertising media context first. Some of the work that I think McDonald's has done with analytics partners talks about 50% of a media campaign or an advertising campaign in media is the ROIs. 50% of the ROI comes from, from the creative. Now, creative often still comes secondary. If I, in, in my travels, technology, social platforms, uh, media channel, how that, what they're costing, all those things can sometimes dominate the conversation and creativity sort of gets put down secondary in the second rung. Your sense on that, media versus creativity versus tech, and you need creativity, by the way, in some of the customer experience stuff, because some of it, if particularly the, the MarTech-led and marketing automation stuff, it can get very vanilla, very same me too, very same everyone's doing the same thing. So just give us your bigger, there's a big long question there, but uh, your sense on creativity across, across the spectrum. Yeah, you, you may not be massively surprised by this answer, but I'll kind of, you know, use that old classic Birnbach quote that I really like, that creativity is the most powerful force in business and it's the most practical thing that businesses can deploy. It can be a massive competitive advantage and I still believe it's massively underleveraged. So if you look at the most successful businesses, the most successful brands, I think they, they deploy creativity extremely effectively. I think they, what you do see, though, with, with a lot of those iconic brands is that they also, I think, have a, have a kind of really innate understanding of how to use technology and media and channel to create that engagement. So the way that they deploy creativity, I think, is, is highly progressive. So for me, it's not really, to answer your question, I suppose, one, I think we, we ignore creativity at our peril. You know, for me, it's a massive competitive advantage. But we absolutely need to be thinking about technology and media and how those things work, work synergistically together to deliver the best outcomes for, for our business, but also how we engage our customers most effectively. And so how do you go inside the organization doing that? You know, you're an advocate for the customer, clearly, and an advocate for creativity. How do you get that into your app, for instance, into your loyalty programs? It's because it's all that, right? It's just not, you know, the messaging. 
Yeah, but some of it as well. I think you can be, you know, you can be highly creative in the way that you deliver a one-to-one message, and that and and that might just be the tone that you that you have, the way that you show humanity. So I think sometimes it's also demystifying what we mean by creativity. Sure, it doesn't always absolutely. have to mean you know, a big organizing creative idea that runs globally. It can just be the way in which you bring to life your brand's personality in the channels that you're in. That's culture and permission, though, too, with the people to be able to think like that and do that rather than sort of something that can be just safe and low risk. But are you there or how do you build that? So kind of to take a mini step back, I think, you know, there's a test and learn mindset that you need to have. So if you're, you know, I feel like I was quite fortunate because, you know, I came into an organization that does value creativity. So it wasn't like this was a category or a brand or a business that that really had to, oh, we've got to. So so that was a good thing. I think how we deploy that creativity and, you know, I suppose taking it to the next level was part of the opportunity. And I think my big thing coming in in that context was around, can we create these big idea-led, you know, underpinned by a really important insight around uh, the platform? So let's take McCafe, for example. We've had a very successful McCafe business, you know, um, born in Melbourne in 1993, you know, but... I suppose the the business challenge was, you know, are, are we a really credible kind of coffee company? Like the consumer tension was great coffee matters. You know, to have a coffee, if you don't have a really good, or a bad coffee, not having coffee or a bad coffee can ruin your day. So kind of great coffee matters. And then we've got this brand truth that we we kind of bought in and the McCafe brand was born here. We had a product truth around, we had a new blend. So you bring all those things together and you go, right, our organizing thought for the McCafe business is coffee fit for an Aussie. Because Aussies have high expectations of coffee, the kind of Aussie cozy coffee culture. When I was in New York, it was coffee brands and, you know, Australian baristas, et cetera. Yes, it was yes. a real... It was a thing, wasn't it? It was a thing. It's a thing. It is a thing. So the, you have this organizing thought against a real customer insight or tension, coffee fit for Aussie. That organizes your process. So we completely changed what we called like the coffee quality blueprint. It's how you, how you ma- maintain the coffee machines, how you train your baristas. The advertising that we created we then launched innovation. So we talked about innovation. I so said product innovation. So the Australiano that we launched a couple of months ago, which was a chai-based with wattle seed coffee. So I think once you have that very good insight, unlocks a really strong idea, platform idea, you can then execute that across the whole of the business influence. I'll say learning and training, people, development. And I think that that's when, when I think about great creativity, I'm, I'm thinking about that. And then sometimes you'll execute brilliantly in a channel or in social or in an advertising campaign, sometimes it might not quite hit the mark. And that's that's the reality. There's no there's no kind of silver bullet that you'll get it right every time, but that's about bringing a test and learn mindset into the business, measure what you can. You know, McDonald's is a very good business at measuring things. What you can't measure, you can't improve. So, you know, we have that measurement kind of philosophy as well, but but also being a bit adventurous in, in some of the things, but offer very clear insight and idea. Yeah, it's a great point, a great example, actually. And let's get to some of sort of where the future customer is going in terms of their taste. I'm fascinated by plant-based uh, proteins. Um, ESG fits, you know, there's a whole, it sort of gets wrapped up into a whole bunch of things, right? You've got your environmental social governance stuff. You've got purpose. You've got plant-based proteins. I see them, and I've got a couple of boys. One of them, the older one is now, he's a vegetarian. And you know, coming from my background, that's a bit surprising. But there's a kind of, and there's a whole bunch of his friends that are doing that. Plant-based, vegetarian, purpose, all that stuff. How do you how do you deal with that in a big uh, QSR juggernaut like McDonald's is? And and what are you thinking about there? Yeah, maybe I'll start on the plant-based. So yes. as we talked about earlier, we've got kind of two million customers coming, you know, coming to us, and it's really important that we have 
you know, without having like a long, long list of everything that they might want, that, but we, we, that we have a, you know, they have a menu that, that reflects what customers are looking for. And, and I think plant is definitely an area that's growing. We're trialing um, at Plant Burger in Victoria at the moment. So if we were down in Victoria having this interview, yes, we, uh, we, could, go, one, we could go and yes, have one. Yeah, we could. Uh, and look, it's a, it's a great burger. Um, it has some of that, you know, classic, you know, Macca's, you know, flavor and sauces, et cetera but, you know, plant-based and it's performing really well. So we we definitely, you know, see a role for plant. What percentage do you think it is and what's, what, you know, segments, what what people, what customer types are, are going there? Is it across the age range? How do you quantify it? Yeah, so without going into huge amounts of detail, but but our perspective is, you know, there's a growing cohort of people called flexitarians. So that, that will, that are looking to have balance within their within their diet and you know love coming to Macca's. So it could be a flexitarian. It might be someone who's who's a vegetarian who who might go with the family but doesn't doesn't feel like there's anything for them. So so there's a degree of choice to this. And as I say, it's about you know making sure that we've got you know a menu that's that's evolving. You know we still obviously have our classics and favourites, but continue to evolve the menu to reflect you know changing desires of of our customers. Well, it's got to be similar to what you did with McCafe, right? There's a sort of that was emerging in '93 when you launched it. But so, is, are we talking about 10, 15, 20 percent of the population? Not your customers, but what what is research showing that cohort, that segment is? Yes, it's large. So you know, when when we were looking at, I suppose the the customer need again, it goes back to being customer first. I think the flexitarian audience is is north of 40 percent. So people who are looking to you know, and that, and it's significantly growing. So again, again, it's it's working with with a brilliant, you know, our kind of brilliant research teams, our menu teams, you know, because just identifying an opportunity, you still have to have then a, and then a product that delivers that has the magic of Macca's as well. Very quickly on food delivery services, what's been the impact on consumer habits there and the McDonald's model? Yeah, so delivery has been a significant growth kind of channel for us, um, you know, working with our, you know, 3PO partners. And is that incremental or is it just taking away from people going what, what they were doing before? Is it adding new business? Well, I think you have to look at the COVID context to start with. So, you know, not unsurprisingly, the delivery channel grew significantly, you know, well off the back of people being at home in lockdown. I think what we've seen, though, is as is, is the country's opened up, that our dining, you know, restaurant business is growing again. You know, restaurants, if I was in a restaurant last night, it's busy, but delivery hasn't kind of dropped back down to reflect that growth back. So... Right. Clearly, you know, we're, I think, the largest delivery kind of brand in Australia. And though that behavior is not going to change, but I think it's going to, again, it's going to be an and. And that we, we see delivery being a, you know, critically important part of our, of our roadmap moving forward. And we're, we're looking to be, to trial innovation where you can actually order delivery through, through our own app as well. So, so there's more innovation coming in that space. And with that, is that 5% of your business, 10% of your business? How does it sit now in terms of yeah, delivery? Approximately 10% of the business. Yeah, right. And do you see it still continue to grow or is it are we flatlining there now because... I think it will grow, but I think it'll they'll get to a point where the growth won't be as steep as it has been over the last couple of years. Yeah, right. Right. Final question before we wrap up, Chris. Um, I've got to ask you this one, talent crisis. So talent everywhere, whether it be marketing, whether it be quick service restaurants, media, tech, how are you uh, dealing with with talent? Is everyone at work at Macca's is okay, or is are you like everyone else, including myself, trying to find people from a kind of a corporate perspective? Corporate, yes. I mean, I understand that the restaurants will be very different. You know, with your service staff, that's that's a different thing altogether. Yeah, from a kind of from a corporate perspective, you know, I think we recognise that. Yeah, whether we call like the Great Resignation or there's been some real kind of moves happening. We, we've been quite fortunate, actually. I feel we've got a really good team in place. It goes back to what I was saying earlier around culture. You know, I've got a really good leadership team. 
We've really focused on giving people space to grow and develop, really empower them, you know, give, make sure they understand you know, what, what the expectations are and work closely with them on that, but then give them the freedom to do that. And I, I've been very lucky in my career. I've had some amazing bosses who've given, been clear what the expectations were, but then given me really good space to grow and develop. And, and I've taken that kind of philosophy through and, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit kind of corny, but it's amazing when you give people opportunities, how much they, they really step up and do an amazing job. So I'll say this probably, and I'll regret it later, but we're actually in a pretty good place from a talent perspective. Well, you're a flexitarian then, sounds like it, in, in your corporate. <laughs> Chris Brown, we have to wind up, unfortunately. We're getting knocked on the studio door here, but great chat. Only scratch the surface. We've got to come back and do some more, but um, thanks for joining. No, pleasure. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.